You're listening to audio from Stapleton Baptist Church. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit stapletonbaptistchurch.org. We pray this message blesses you. And we don't get to choose what it means. We're not the ones who choose what it means. It means exactly what God intended for it to mean. But that same passage could have multiple or dozens of different application points to our life. And so as we work towards finishing the book of Genesis, our normal pattern going forward will will tend to be first understanding what the story means and then discovering the application points for our lives. And so to that end, let's go ahead and jump into this story, beginning in Genesis 30, verse 25. It says this, As soon as Rachel had warned Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock have fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give to you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages." So my honesty will answer for me later. When you come to look into my wages with you, every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. So let's pause there for a moment. If you remember, Jacob's original deal with his uncle Laban was to work seven years in exchange for Rachel's hand in marriage. But then Laban deceives him, tricks him into marrying Leah instead. But then Laban offers Rachel's hand in marriage as well in exchange for another seven years of labor. And that brings us to where we're at in this story. It's been 14 years since Jacob arrived in Paddan Aram, and he's worked for his uncle slash father-in-law for 14 years now. And now he comes to Laban telling him that he wants to return home to the land of Canaan with his wives and his children. And the first hint that trouble might be coming is in Laban's response. He realizes that he has been blessed because of Jacob. His proximity to him has been a great benefit. He even adds weight to the statement by saying he's learned this fact through divination. Now, it doesn't tell us exactly what kind of divination this is, uh, but later on, divination is something that's clearly banned under the Mosaic law, and it could have involved consulting mediums or interpreting omens, uh, worshiping idols, kind of witchcraft might, it might be what you have in mind. Either way, Laban realizes this, and he doesn't want Jacob to leave, so he says, hey, name your wage and I'll pay it if you just keep working for me. Now, we know, of course, why this has happened. Uh, 
This is because of the, why the blessing to Laban has happened. It's because of the covenant promise originally made to Abraham. God told Abraham, I will bless whoever blesses you and curse whoever curses you. That promise has passed down to Isaac and now to Jacob. And Laban is the current beneficiary of that collateral blessing. Now, you may wonder, why is Jacob asking for permission to leave in the first place? Can't he just take his family and get on out and leave? But it's a little bit more complicated than that. Jacob's family has indeed grown, but he's still been a worker for Laban. And all his hard work has grown Laban's property and possessions alone. Laban is the one who has grown rich and powerful. And if he wanted to prevent Jacob from leaving, he probably could by force, or he could possibly take his wives and children away and leave Jacob on his own. So Jacob is trying to negotiate this departure in peace. So Laban says, name your wage. But Jacob's wanting more than just payment. He's wanting to establish his own possessions and his own flock so that he can provide for his own household independent from Laban. And he makes Laban a very generous offer. He'll continue pasturing Laban's flock, and his payment will be every, it says, every sheep that is specked, speckled, spotted, and, or black, and every goat that's spotted or speckled. And the sheep or goats that fall in those categories will be Jacob's to keep. And that's an incredibly generous offer towards Laban because sheep are, of course, normally white, and goats in that part of the world are normally all black. So it would be much more rare to have spotted or speckled black sheep or more rare to have goats that were spotted with white. So that's, that's what's going on with this deal. And, of course, Laban immediately agrees to it. But then he goes behind Jacob's back once again and immediately has all the sheep or goats that fall in those categories separated out and put in the charge of his sons and taken far away. So that leaves Jacob with a flock of solid white sheep and solid black goats. Laban's thought is that it's unlikely that pure white sheep would produce anything other than pure white sheep and the same with the goats. So he set up Jacob to fail in establishing his own personal flock. He's trying to make it where Jacob is perpetually dependent on him and unable to leave. But here's what Jacob does in response. Look at verse 37. It says, Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks and the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, camels and donkeys. So you might be saying, what is that talking about? Lots of striped and speckled and sticks. Basically, Jacob gets to work breeding the livestock. He kind of takes the high ground in this, this deal with Laban. Uh, there was apparently a belief in those times that 
what animals looked at while they were breeding would somehow have an effect on the embryos or the offspring that they produced. Uh, now, obviously, we realize that's some, some ancient junk science there. That's, that's not how it works. Uh, but that's the thought. So he's putting these different striped and spotted sticks in the water where the flocks would breed, thinking that that would produce spotted, speckled, and striped offspring. And he does this particularly with the stronger, healthier animals. Now, we know that science is a little faulty there. Putting the sticks in the water isn't going to affect the color of the animals one bit. Rather, we know God is the one who's blessing Jacob's hard work and effort. And as he breeds the animals, we find over a six-year period, they keep producing strong, healthy, spotted, striped, and speckled ones for Jacob and the rest are weak and feeble ones for Laban. And notice how it describes Jacob in verse 43. It says, Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Now that verse might stand out to you because we've seen almost identical statements made in Genesis about Abraham and Isaac as well. In both of those times, it was pointing to the fact that God was blessing his covenant person with incredible prosperity and success that could be explained no other way than that it came from God. So we should see this as a clear sign of God's blessing on Jacob and the fulfillment of his promises to him. Now let's pick back up in Genesis 31 verse 1. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. So Laban's favor towards Jacob is quickly running out, and Jacob realizes this. He's on thin ice with his uncle. And at the same time, the Lord tells Jacob to now leave, return to the land of Canaan, and that he, he will be with him. And Jacob wants to make sure that Rachel and Leah are both fully cooperative, and he makes his case with them against Laban, and also reveals to them and to us, the readers, that God has spoken to him through a dream. And in that dream, God showed him that the striped and the speckled flock would be the ones that multiplied. And God identifies himself as the God of Bethel, making sure that Jacob understands he is the same God that had appeared to him in the dream with the ladder to heaven over 20 years ago. So 20 years have passed just in those two chapters we have read. 
And then he finally tells him, return to the land of Canaan. And to summarize the remainder of the chapter for you, let me give you the Cliff Notes version. Jacob loads up his wives and his children and all his livestock and possessions and heads to the land of Canaan. And he does this during the shearing season when Laban's away, shearing his flocks and would be extremely busy. Now, this is not an easy process at all. Of course, moving is not an easy process even in modern times when you've accumulated so much stuff and, and junk over the years. You've got to pack it up, transport it, unpack it. But imagine thousands of years ago when it's all being carried on camels and donkeys or on people's backs, plus they're trying to move along a massive flock of animals. And the journey back to Canaan is over 500 miles. So this is incredibly slow going. But they're able to get a three-day head start before Laban finds out they've left. But Laban and his kinsmen then pursue them for seven days until they finally catch up with him. But before they do, God comes to Laban in a dream and warns him not to harm Jacob. He finally catches up with Jacob. And then for the last 30 verses of the chapter, there's this tense back and forth conversation between Jacob and Laban. And in it, we really see Laban's true colors coming through. He's really, there's no better word than a scumbag. He is not, he's not a good guy. He basically gaslights Jacob, trying to make it seem that Jacob is the bad guy in this situation. He accuses him of taking his daughters away like captives by force and doing it without him having a chance to kiss them goodbye and throwing a farewell feast, even though there's no chance that Laban would have done that anyway. And then he even threatens Jacob. He says, it's in my power to harm you. Jacob then responds by recounting how he served Laban and with hard, honest work for 20 years. And even though he's changed his wages 10 times and cheated him, but God has blessed him and protected him along the way. But here's what Laban says. Look at verse 43. It says, then Laban answered, and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flock are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. I mean, Laban is a man consumed with pride, narcissism, and greed. He, he's acknowledged that he's been blessed because of Jacob. He knows how ruthless and deceptive he has been with Jacob. He even knows that God is on the side of Jacob. He knows this is a losing battle for himself, yet it's like he can't help but claim out loud that it's all his. I mean, he really is a pitiful character. And at this point, when you're reading the story, you're prepared for these two men to throw down. You're, you're expecting there to be some battle or struggle between their households. But don't forget, Laban is a ruthless man, but he is also a clever, ruthless man. He realizes that he's on the wrong side of this battle, especially God himself has told him, don't, do, don't harm Jacob. So instead, he proposes, let's make a covenant. Let's make a deal. This, this covenant is not necessarily a covenant of blessing or kindness. Rather, it's a covenant of peace. And the, the, it's promising that neither party will ever cross this boundary with the intention of harming the other. And then it quickly ends with the next morning, Laban gets up. He kisses his grandchildren and his daughters goodbye, and he heads back home. And that's the last we hear of Uncle Laban. And now even though Laban has left, the journey home for Jacob is just beginning. It'll be a long, difficult journey. Plus, he has yet to see if 20 years is enough time for his brother Esau to 
forgive him and not want to kill him anymore. But already we're seeing an increase in the spiritual activity of Jacob's life. He's recognizing more that his blessings are coming directly from God, and God is already teaching Jacob to place his trust in him. Now, Jacob still needs to take the next spiritual step. If you notice in this chapter, he's still referring to God as simply the God of Abraham and Isaac or the God of my fathers. He has yet to identify God as his God, and that's a big change that still needs to come. But God's guiding him here into deeper trust and showing him that he can trust him in three particular ways. And these are three lessons of trust that we need to be refreshed on constantly ourselves. The first is that God preserves his people. God preserves his people. We see God clearly showing Jacob that he can trust him to preserve him. If it weren't for God directly telling Laban not to harm Jacob things might not have turned out so well for Jacob. And he knows this too. In verse 42, Jacob says, If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. Jacob knows that if it wasn't for God preserving him in this situation, that Laban would have overtaken them, taken his daughters and grandchildren and all the flock, and left Jacob empty-handed. But God preserves him. God preserves his people. You know, and the scripture also invites us to trust in God to preserve us. And there's certainly plenty of things that we need preservation from. There's evil and danger in this world. There's medical issues. There's also just plain accidents that happen as well. The Psalms are a great place to find prayers of preservation. Time and time again, the psalmist cries out to God and trusts him to preserve his life. Like in Psalm 38 or 37, 28, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. Or there's Psalm 40, verse 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. This idea of preservation is also present in the most famous Psalm, Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That is a confidence based in the fact that God will preserve him. So we're invited to trust in God to preserve us, whether it's from danger or disease or any other threat. And that's a great comfort as well for those who have children and grandchildren. I know I certainly took for granted God's preservation and protection before I had kids. Being relatively young and relatively healthy, I didn't think too much about my own health and safety, but then you bring these helpless babies into the world, and all of a sudden you realize that there are dangers out there. There's sharp edges even in your home that they could hit their head on. Uh, And so it's a comfort to know that I can trust God and, and pray constantly for the safety, protection, health of my children. And really, we can trust God to preserve us in all times. And then the second lesson is that God provides for his people. God provides for his people. This goes hand in hand with his preserving us, but we often experience these in different circumstances. God has clearly provided for Jacob and his family. Jacob came to this foreign land with nothing. Uh, Then for 14 years had labored and all his hard work had gone to reward Laban. 
He still had no way to support his family, but then God blesses the works of his hands and the spotted and speckled and striped sheep and goat multiply like crazy until his flocks are huge. And Jacob realizes this provision is from God. Back in verse 9, he told his wives, thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. He knows that this has come from God. God provided what Jacob needed to live and to accomplish what God was calling him to do. He was teaching Jacob that he could trust him in that way. Do you trust God that he can provide for you as well? You can trust God to provide two things for you. You can trust God to provide what you need to live, and you can trust God to give you what you need to do what he's called you to do. God doesn't call us to do something, but then doesn't give us what we need to do it. You know, during the ministry of Jesus, during those ancient times, poverty was incredibly high. Struggling to have food, struggling to have clothing or shelter was almost a normal thing for a large segment of the population. None of those things were guaranteed. So it's striking and fitting when Jesus calls people to trust in God to provide for their needs. And he was often saying that directly to people who literally had those needs at the moment. Look at these words of Jesus to his disciples in Matthew 6, 25. Such a beautiful passage. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I know there's many of you in here that could testify to the fact that God does provide. I know there's stories among you of how God provided a job when you needed it the most, or insurance when you needed it, a vehicle when you needed it. And maybe in those situations, you had no idea where those things would come from, but God came through, and that's because God provides. And if he provides food for the birds of the air, how much more will he provide for his children? And maybe you're in a spot right now in life where finances are are getting tight or you can't find the right job or the medical bills are piling up. And I want to encourage you with these words right now from Jesus. Don't be anxious. Instead, seek first the kingdom. Trust in God to provide because he will. And the third lesson is that God guides his people. We can trust God to guide us. Jacob's life has been one mess after another. The last few chapters of Genesis have have been a doozy for Jacob in his life. He's forced to flee for his life from his home because of his enraged brother is trying to kill him after he has deceived his old blind father. 
He then ends up being tricked into marrying the wrong sister and then marries the other sister as well. He ends up having 11 sons at this point through four women. And all the while, his uncle slash father-in-law has been cheating him and is now seeking to harm him. It it doesn't get any, any messier than that. But through all that, God is still guiding him. God appeared to him at the wilderness in Bethel and established his covenant with him. And now 20 years have gone by, but God has not forgotten Jacob. He's provided for him, preserved him, and tells him now it's time to go home. And he reminds him again, I will be with you. God's teaching Jacob that he will guide him. And you know, even when you can't feel it, when you can't see it, when you can't hear it, you can still trust that God will guide you. And what a relief and comfort that is for Christians to know that we aren't left to navigate this life on our own. We don't have to simply rely on our own smarts or wisdom. Instead, we can trust and rely on the God of all wisdom and understanding to guide us. Proverbs 3, 5 puts it perfectly. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And that's true for us both in the big things and in the little things. It might be a major career move or deciding where you're going to go to college. It might be making important relationship decisions. It might be deciding how to navigate difficult family situations. It might be figuring out how to raise children to the glory of God. You fill in the blank with whatever situation you're facing right now where you know you need wisdom and you need guidance and you need help. And no matter what the circumstances are, you can trust God to guide you when you look to him and acknowledge him. The truth is that the same God who preserved, provided for, and guided Jacob is the same God that we still serve today. God is infinitely great and powerful and glorious. He's as infinitely those things as he's ever been. Don't forget who our God is and his promises for us, his children Let your faith and trust in him be renewed today, knowing that he'll preserve you, he'll provide for you, and that he will guide you. He'll do it all for his glory and for our good. Would you pray with me?